Welcome back to the Daniel Muggleton podcast. It's me. I'm Daniel Muggleton. I'm the guy. Uh, we had a week off. I didn't tell you about that. I didn't know it was going to be like that, but it happened. I apologize. I hope you forgive me. I hope I hope you will remain uh, my loyal and dedicated listener, uh, despite me ghosting you. To be perfectly honest, the reason that I didn't record an episode last week, I was just burnt out. I've had a bunch of stuff going on professionally, a bunch of stuff going on personally. I just hit a fucking wall and I was like, hey, instead of putting out some kind of rambling substandard thing, like I always do, I thought, take a week off, sort yourself out, come back with some renewed vigor. So I appreciate it if you forgive me. If you don't, don't worry, I'll make it up to you. In exciting news, I think... Uh, I am done with the Adelaide Fringe Festival. That's what we're going to talk about on today's show. I'll tell you five things that happened. It's my, it's my brand new idea. Instead of talking about the stuff during the fest the whole fucking time, which is a bit of a snore, I reckon let's get it all out. One thing, one thing, five things in one episode, five things that happened, sometimes to do with the show, sometimes to do with me, sometimes to do with any, just just five things that happened to me during that month. Bit of structure, why not? Hope you enjoy that. Uh, obviously, with that being over, what it means is this Saturday, I'm at Canberra for the Canberra Comedy Festival. Um, so if you know anyone in the nation's capital, uh, please do send them along, 9.45 p.m. at Cambry. It's my biggest show ever in Canberra. Tickets are moving, but I could definitely sell a couple more. So do send them along if you know anyone there. Uh, and then after that, oh, Wednesday week. Wednesday week, I start my show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I'm there for a month. I think it's 24 shows during that month, maybe 25. Um, it is my new show. It's getting there. I'd say Adelaide has done its job, which it does for me every year, which is turning a lot of vague ideas into some kind of cohesive thought. So it's getting there. The show's happening. It's called How the Whitey Have Fallen. All the stuff's on my website. Obviously, if you want to go way down the road, uh, I will be in the UK in June doing something. I don't know what it's going to look like yet because last year's show, I did it at Edinburgh, but a lot of the show was quite Australian. Whereas this year, I feel like the show is less Australian, but I don't. it'll be some kind of hybrid in the UK, I think. They'll just kind of be not quite a best of. I'm not going to hit the classics. Then maybe I could take requests. Already dressed like a fucking DJ. Why not? Uh, but yes, that'll be what happens in the UK. Those tour dates are announced. They're on sale and tickets are moving because in the UK, people have heard about booking in advance. Hooray. Um, all right. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's all you need to know. I want to dive into the five things that happened. I think I've done a nice little diverse array of things that have happened. Some self-deprecating, some self-congratulatory. Some interesting, some boring, but you, you, my dear listener, you, my dear listener, who has probably already left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because those numbers keep going up and I fucking love to see that, but you, listener, can decide once and for all. Let me know. Get in touch. 
I love when you guys get in touch. Dan at danielmuggleton.com.au. That is where to find me. That is my direct email. I'll be the one who gets back to you on that because I would still live to go. I would, I would still love to give you some bad advice. I ask for you guys to get in touch with me with things you need advice on. I would love to give you some bad advice. Let me know some situations. Let's fucking get stuck into it. But for now, five things that happen at the Adelaide Fringe and to get us there from Tasmania, it's Verticoli. All right, I'm fresh off the plane and what better time to do my five things that happened at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Uh, just to just to give, like, let's, let's give this segment some fucking context, huh? I think that'll help everybody. Everybody's like, why do we care what happened at the Adelaide Fringe, Dan? What are these five things you speak of? Um, I do festivals throughout the start of the year and sometimes at the middle of the year and sometimes at the end of the year. There's a lot of comedy festivals going on around Australia. That's how Australian comedy works and UK comedy pretty similar uh, month-long comedy festivals at different cities you turn up you do your show like some fucking circus performer with a weird beard and really big shoulders my god the circus torso very impressive uh so you do that and i'm going to be doing these and i figure they're going to be a pretty regular part of the podcast but like breaking down things that happen there on a day-to-day, week-to-week type thing. Seems like a bit of a snooze fest. So I was like, fuck it. Let's just get going with the five things that happened. The festival's just ended. I've just flown back to Sydney for the last time. This year at the Adelaide Fringe, I was flying in every Friday, flying out every Sunday, except for the long weekend where I stayed till the Monday. And I thought, instead of going through it in massive detail, we'll just get into the five things that happened. That was a pause where in my mind I heard some kind of sound effect to signify the beginning of a segment. Let's go. Number five. Uh, I got my food taken off me for asking for a tax invoice. Here we go. So (laughs) this is arguably one of the most boomer things that I've ever been involved in. uh, And I want to apologize for that. But uh, at the Adelaide Fringe Festival... I got drunk at the end of the evening, as is, as is my custom at comedy festivals, uh, because I find it difficult mentally and emotionally to be there. So I sink some fucking beers to help me get through upwards of five different shows per night. Uh, and I was drunk. I was about to head home. And I'm a sucker for the Halal Snack Pack. I enjoy that a lot. Uh, For those of you who aren't aware of the Halal Snack Pack, it is kebab meat or shawarma meat. I think kebab and shawarma kind of covers it. Gyros, some of us call it gyros. Basically shaved meat. Any meat shaved off a rotisserie like wool off a sheep. Any kind of that meat scenario. I personally prefer chicken, uh, but I have been open to suggestion getting donor or beef or lamb, whatever. You know, I'm in there. But generally... Very partial to a snack pack. I like it. I know that at 33, my days of being able to eat them are fucking numbered. uh, Because let's be honest, I stopped drinking for a bit there. I took some time off drinking for maybe like four months at the back end of last year. 
that I would still get a little snack pack to reward myself. And one thing I found out, I think alcohol is a real scapegoat for how shit you feel the next day after a snack pack. Usually you're pissed and you get a snack pack and you're like, oh man, I must have had too many beers last night. No, I think the sheer salt content, just (laughs) the absolute aggregate of salt contained in that type of meat on top of those chips inside that cheese and lurking inside the holy trinity of sauces garlic barbecue chili let's not fuck around and when i say chili i obviously mean hot chili if you serve sweet chili to someone when they ask for chili sauce there isn't enough diversity in your city next so love hsp i wanted one of those at the end of my night in adelaide uh to eat drunkenly in bed Ooh, sexy right you know, when you're in those white hotel sheets and you're there in in some stage of undress, semi-tucked in, semi-out. I mean, semi-out kind of sounds like I was sporting half an erection, which was outside the sheets. I just mean I was half-tucked, half-untucked, tucking in to an HSP, getting a bit of barbecue on the sheets, waking up the next day, realizing it looks a bit sus, and then remembering it's a hotel sheet. Nobody's inspecting that. They're just washing it and hoping there are no bodies in the room. Bang. So I wanted one of them. I went to the nearest possible restaurant. I'm not going to name the restaurant because I ain't a fucking snitch, but I went to the nearest restaurant where I've been to before to get my HSP in Adelaide. They're called an AB. They're not called an HSP in Adelaide. I don't know if that's because they don't like any association with the Muslim religion, but I don't know. I think it's called like an Adelaide box. Someone's going to fucking write in and get angry at me. Some kind of box. AB, it's like, I think it is Adelaide box. And it's like, we invented putting meat and chips together. And it's like, oh, I mean, what a claim. Uh, But anyway, so I was like, can I get the chicken AB? And he said, no dramas, what sauce? And I said, the Holy Trinity. He said, sweet chili. And I said, fucking, you're a disgrace. Make it hot chili. You know, a bit of, bit of sass at the old late night venue. And he made it for me. I paid for it. He handed me the box. And I was like, thanks, man. Can I just get a tax invoice? Because as far as I'm aware, and I'm saying allegedly, like this is some fucking defamation issue, but allegedly while I'm away doing comedy on the road, I can claim my expenses apart from alcohol as deductions because they're part of my work i'm away for work i gotta eat outside of home because i'm not at home because i'm working i can claim that so i was like hey mate can i please get my tax invoice and he gave me the receipt from the fpos machine and i'm like oh no i can't have that i need the one that has like the abn on it like the tax invoice it comes from that machine over there and i pointed at the machine because they're all very similar it's a slightly wider one than the fpos thing and he was like okay and then he hands me the fpos one again because I think he was playing a bit of a game of chicken, being like, this guy is ordering an AB, it's 2 a.m., one plus one equals his fucking shit face, I think I can trick him. But unfortunately, I take tax very seriously now, Uh, so I was like, sorry, mate, I really do need the other one. And he goes, okay. He grabs the food out of my hand, goes to the till, gives me my change, well, not my change, rather, gives me the amount of money I paid for the HSP in cash and says leave. 
I have never had that happen before. Like that is how seriously this restaurant was taking tax evasion. They were willing to give up a sale just to prove that they made no transactions that evening. I, that's the only explanation I can come to. I can't, like, I wasn't being rude in any way. I was just like, can I please have that receipt, which they're legally required to give you? I'm pretty sure. Like, I don't think there's a reason they can say that, like, no to that request, right? Um, and yeah, he just, like, gave me the cash and told me to live. And I was, I was amazed. And I'll be honest, I took that cash. I did not declare it. <laughs> And I went down the street and bought an AB from another place for, I think, $5 less, got that receipt. So generally, I made a bit of a profit that evening. Number four, I had a can of Carlton Draft thrown at me. Oh, yeah, that happened. Um, that was on the last night of the festival um, at the Adelaide Festival. Oh, sorry, the Adelaide Fringe, I should say. The Adelaide Festival is on during the Fringe as well as World of Music and Dance Adelaide. They're called the Festival State according to the number plate and Adelaide has all their festivals at the same time in February and March every single year and then waits for 10 months for something to happen again. Genius. Anyway, uh, I do my show in a shipping container. Uh, on Like I'm in a shipping container. The audience is on a lawn in front of me. It's an outdoor thing. It started during COVID and I've done it ever since. Um, I probably won't again just because I don't know if you've seen comedy outdoors. Yeah, you shouldn't. Uh, you should skip it. It's just, it's not an outdoor art form, even nice and late at night like I am. I'm at 10, 20 p.m. Like there's no, you know, it's not daytime. It's not sunny. It's just that you know, the outdoors are distracting. I've like literally lost the crowd's attention because a possum ran across the stage and up a tree like that. <laughs> I know like this is confirming fucking every Australian stereotype ever had in your head, but that shouldn't happen at a comedy show. Comedy is hard enough. You know, you don't, you don't need wildlife and like bats flying over. Like there's another fucking Batman sequel about to air. And this is some PR stunt to generate interest. Like, I've been outdoors. Anyway, that's what you need to know. It's outdoors. I'm in a shipping container. They're on the lawn. There's like a canopy type thing, uh, but it never rains in Adelaide. So that's fine. Um, and then slightly past, like, you know, maybe 10 meters away from that is the fence, which is the edge of the venue. And occasionally people will yell shit out over the fence because they can kind of hear you on the other side of the fence. So they heckle you uh, because they get heaps of pussy and they're really, really smart and have huge cocks. And those type of people uh, take it upon themselves to heckle comedians performing inside shipping containers because it's important to, you know, keep our self-esteem at a manageable level. Like I could have I could have really crossed into crossed into some kind of megalomania uh, without the help of these angels uh, talking shit to me from the other side of a fence. Um my friend, when she was doing her show, actually had two people jump the fence like it was some kind of music festival and then like run through her show into the main part of the venue, which is free entry anyway. So, you know, things happen. Things happen when you're outdoors is I think the best way I can summarize that. But I have people yell out, that's fine. I've got a microphone. They're a long way away. I tend to win the interaction. Uh, in my last show... I had a whole joke about hating Bogans and 
the audience sometimes wouldn't be on my side and I'd say, look, you might not hate Bogans now, but there's going to come a point in this show where you're suddenly going to agree with me 100%. I don't know when it's going to happen, but the penny's going to drop. And like with the incredible sense of inevitability, someone each night would yell something over the fence. And I'd be like, see, I bet you fucking hate Bogans now. Cue the applause. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? So I'm used to it. Last night, last night of the festival, um, I, I got yelled at. I was making fun of them. And then about a minute passes, I'm back in the show. Just, you know, like nothing happened. And I hear a crash on the canopy thing just in front of me. And someone had thrown a can of Carlton Draft. It had hit the top of the canopy just near me and then rolled and kind of to the edge of stage. Like it landed on stage. Like one thing I want to say, good throw. You know, like I've played, I've played some sports throughout my time. Throwing a can, a difficult thing to throw in the first place with that level of accuracy uh, across a fence where you can't really see the target. Pretty fucking impressive. If it wasn't for the canopy, I reckon he might have got me. Um, but he missed me. Uh, I look, I say, Hey, I say, Hey, I'm assuming maybe it was a chick with a fucking arm of steel. Maybe she's just, you know, part of the South Australian under 17 softball team. And she just fucking underarm the cunt straight up and over the fence with a bit of dip on it. I would hate to speculate about gender in this instance. I just know that whoever threw it was a cowardly cunt. Uh, they can be any gender you like. Don't even worry about it. Uh, but one thing that was my favorite about that, they missed. So I wasn't too worried about it. I was exhausted because I've been doing this fringe for like five weekends now. So like, you know, nothing can rattle you at that point. <laughs> you've seen it all before. You're like Lethal Weapon 17. You know, you've just seen it. You are too old for this shit in the most complete sense. Uh, but my favorite thing about it is generally you would assume... Uh, an audience would like engender some kind of sympathy or concern on your behalf. Uh, but this audience was so confused by the show in general that they saw the can hit the thing went, huh? And then just turned straight back to me. Like nothing happened. Like it was, it was incredible. It's like when your grandfather says something racist at Christmas, we moved on so quickly that for a second there, you're not even sure if the weird thing happened to begin with. Number three, I did, a showcase, I am C to showcase, uh, and it ran 15 minutes under time. <laughs> Look, I'm not proud of this. I think it's very funny in hindsight, but basically I was emceeing a showcase at the fringe and uh, the venue was running behind because basically during a fringe, there's a venue it's got shows on sometimes from midday until midnight. Like they're just turning, turning, turning. Like they're working these fuckers harder than like an easy jet plane, you know? Like the second it's over, you're out, they're in, start again, keep going. So if there's any kind of delay, it just stacks up. Like that's what happens. Like if, the, if one show runs five minutes late, then the next show gets in five minutes late, then like their audience takes longer to get in, then your seven minutes, it just stacks up. So by the end of the night, the venue's like 30 minutes behind and everybody's fucked, right? That's, that's what happens. Not all the time, 
But a lot of venues are like, hey, 15 minutes between shows, that's enough to get 250 people in and 250 people out, directed by the incredibly forceful lanyard wearers of arts festivals, you know? So this showcase was running, I think we were, the show before us was 25 minutes behind. Now that's pretty bad because remember, you're running to extra shows. Like, you know, this isn't the only show you're doing. So you've got a place to be after this show. The audience presumably has another show to go see that night. So when you're that kind of behind, it is a real issue. So before the show, the venue manager was like, hey, is it possible for you guys to cut time? Like, is it po- like, you know, you're supposed to do 10 minutes each, but like, could you maybe go a little short to get the venue back on time. And I was like, fuck yeah. Like, I don't know if you've met comedians. We're good. (laughs) We don't need to do the time. Like we know the fucking magician with the props and the set and the songs and the set pieces before us couldn't possibly shave a fucking second off their masterpiece. But we just talk. We can talk for less. No dramas. Just let us know how much you want to chop. And they're like, well, if we could finish by 9.15, then the venue's back on track and like that'd, that'd be it. We'd, we'd be sorted. And I was like, fuck, man, we can do that. Like, no stress. So I got to tell all these comedians that are my friends, like, hey, do you want to do half the work to get paid the exact same amount and they were like fuck yeah dan let's go and i'm up there i'm revving them up they're coming on they're smashing it i'll be i'll be honest i don't think i've ever been a part of a show that killed as consistently as this showcase everyone went up and just fucking belted it for like six minutes each (laughs) it was supposed to be 10 everyone ended up doing about six and just fucking smashing it. Laugh, 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 applause, laugh, laugh. Next guy, applause, laugh, laugh, laugh. Next lady, just so bang, bang, bang. We finished the show at 9.14. We came in a minute shy. I did a minute rap at the end telling everybody where people's shows were, thanking them for coming out, called it, walk out. The venue staff were like, you fucking heroes. You fixed the incompetence of an entire arts festival through the simultaneously selfish and selfless act of going short. Thanks so much, boys. And I was like, don't even worry about it. Went out to get a drink before my show and then got a call from the person running the showcase. Be like, hey, man, how long did the show go tonight? And I was like, oh, dude, we fucking nailed it. Got on at like 8.40, got off, 9.15, fuck yeah, how good's that? And he's like, oh yeah, but people paid for like an hour of comedy and they were waiting. (laughs) It sounds so fucking stupid in hindsight, but I genuinely didn't think about this at all at the time when they were like, can you cut time? It's like, fuck yeah, we can cut time. People expected the show to start at 8.15, They'd probably been lining up at like 8.10. They got in the venue at 8.30 and then they saw a show until 9.15 and they would have been like, what? (laughs) You know that thing we just, because you're so kind of caught up on your side of the thing that you don't think about 
their experience where like they've been in line for 20 minutes, let's say, maybe 25. They've been standing trying to enter a tent. Then they've been in the tent for 35 minutes and then been asked to leave the tent again. And they're looking at their watch being like, that can't be right. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, long story short, it was all fine. Uh some people got refunds, fair enough. But it did actually debunk a long-held theory of mine, which is that audiences genuinely don't think about how long anything goes. Like comedians, I think, can be a bit a bit obsessive about like how long a show should go, what's the minimum length a show can be. Uh, like comedy nights, especially, like kind of showcase nights, like your typical bar shows or your lineup shows. Like, I think we're kind of like, well, for them to get the full experience, they need to see at least 90 minutes of comedy. They need to see at least, you know, an hour and 20. Like, the show needs to be an hour and 20 all up with intervals or whatever the fuck. And I've always thought audiences couldn't give a shit. They just want to have a good time. They have no idea. <clears throat> Excuse me. I told you. I've been flying in and out. They have no idea how long a good time takes. They're just like, was it fun? Great. Like there isn't kind of like a value measure. And this 100% proved me wrong because they were like, we paid for 50 minutes of something and we got 35, sling us some cash and I didn't have to pay it, which is the, which is the good bit. <laughs> but I did, I did still feel bad. You forget. You forget sometimes because you're doing a show, you're doing your thing, you're in your head and you forget that the audience also matters. <laughs> uh, is, it, is it possible to say that without sounding like a total cunt? Is it? Could you get like, it's just the perspective because you're like, hey, do you want to do a solid for a team of like, ill-prepared venue managers like most of these people are like 18 to 23 they've got no kind of formal training they've just kind of fallen into this they're managing venues they're doing the best they can they're falling behind due to decisions made completely outside of their control and then they're getting lip from us they're getting lip from the audience like the audience like why aren't we fucking in there yet we're like why aren't we fucking on stage yet and they just have to mediate that and you're like i can fucking help you out Every comedian is fine doing shorter. Like nobody's like, I, I need to do this 10 minutes to this ambiguous group of people. You cannot take a single minute away from me because this matters. Like everyone's like, yeah, bro, whatever you need. And the show after you is like, fucking thank you so much. Like because they're thinking, oh my God, we're going to get in there at like 10 o'clock and holy shit then we're going to be trying to rush, but we can't rush because we're fucking acrobats. And I don't think acrobats can rush. I don't think you can just really tighten up a nice little contortionist piece, you know, like kind of the drag out is a significant factor. And you're like, man, we have saved everybody's night. And then you realize the audience are like, hey, that, that was a bit fucked. We had to wait for so long and the show was so short. So fair enough. Fair enough. Lessons learned in Adelaide. That was number three. What are we? That was number three, right? That was number three. All right. Number two. Number two things that happened at the Adelaide Fringe. 
Uh, I pulled an all-nighter to catch my flight. That was on the public holiday. Um, my flight out was at 6 a.m., I believe. First flight, first flight out, 6 a.m. Uh, my show, as I said, is at 10.20 p.m., which means it ends at 11.10 p.m., uh, unless it was that showcase, in which case it would end at 10.55 p.m. That's too short. It is too short. My bad. Uh, anyway. I needed to get the plane out. It was a friend of mine's birthday. Uh, so there were some drinks being had after the show. I was like, I'll pop in for a drink, say hello, say goodbye, go home, sleep, get on the plane, out, right? Wrong. <laughs> I had a good show. I was feeling jovial. I thought I'd have a couple of extra beers. And then I looked at my watch and it was like, 2 a.m. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I've had a few beers, setting an alarm for 4.30 a.m. doesn't sound like a sure thing. Like you just can't 100% trust yourself to wake up. Like this has happened to me before. I've been burnt before, which is why I'll never trust again. Uh, at the Perth Comedy Festival last year, I had a flight out, I think it's 6.30 and I had some drinks the night before. Got some got some drink tickets. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you wonder how the comedy world goes around, it's fucking free drink vouchers, baby. That's how it works. So I was smashing them. Uh, it got pretty late. I was like, no dramas. I'll go home. Set a couple of alarms. I'll be right. Easy as. I woke up at 5.30. Uh I had a check bag, like there was just no way I could get there in time. I got to the airport. I tried to find the lady at the desk to get some sympathy. Uh, this was straight out of COVID. Qantas cut all those people, obviously, because who wants customer service when you can have profit margins? Hooray! Um, so I had to call them and I'm like, hey, I missed my flight. What can you do about that? And they said, nothing. You're a fucking idiot. And I'm like, that's reasonable. But is it worth mentioning that I'm a bronze frequent flyer member? And they said, that is the entry level tier. <laughs> Literally anyone can sign up to that. So no, there's nothing we can do. So I had to pay for another flight out of Perth. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Perth. It is the most remote city in the world, meaning a flight out of there on the fucking day is not cheap. So I was determined to not have it happen again. So I did what I thought was the sensible thing and said, fuck it, I'm not going to go to bed. I'm just going to power straight through to the flight. I need to drink significantly more. So got on the shots, got stuck in, kept drinking beers. It hit about 4 a.m. I am hammered. The bar is closing. I'm like, no, 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 no. I need another half hour before I go home because if I go home with too much time, I might sit down and if I sit down, I might pass out. And if I pass out, there's no way I'm getting this flight. So I went to another bar, <laughs> the latest bar in Adelaide. That's where I ended up. Had one more beer there. It was like, you beauty. Again, didn't want to go all the way home because the sitting down, the passing out, the missing the flight was ringing in the ears. So I was like, fuck it. Went to a Porto, late night meal. I think... By five, 
what would it have been? It would have been by 4.45, I was home, I had eaten, I thought I was like semi-lucid. You know that thing where you're like, I've only been hanging out with really drunk people, like two bars worth of people and then an Adelaide of Porto's at 4.30 a.m. on a Monday. There's no sober people there either, but I think I'm in a kind of normal state. I reckon I can pull this thing off. And so got the Uber, got to the airport, managed to get through the check-in, got through security, got on the plane, didn't sit down at any point throughout that process because I was too afraid. I would just fall asleep in the fucking airport. Got on the plane. I was sitting in an emergency exit row or so that was pointed out to me by a flight attendant. And she was like, can you help out in an emergency? And I said, you fucking bet. (laughs) Which, look, in hindsight, I think the moral thing to do would have been to be like, hey, I've actually had some beers, so maybe you should move me to like another row where in the event of an emergency, I just die like I should, you know? Like it's just just the, hey, you're row 29, you're, you're a window seat, you're in 29F, just if this fucker goes down, you're going to die. Like that's the, that's the end for you. And I'm like, yeah, it sounds reasonable. It'll prevent a hell of a hangover. So that sounds good. Um, but I was like, yeah, it's fine. And like, look, I think, I think the reason I can kind of moralize it is I sit in the exit row quite a bit because I'm tall. So I prefer to be in the exit row if I can. Uh, and I've sat next to people in that row who are 85 plus, like just old, like self-managed, super fund, invention level old, like the first cunts who manage their own, like old people, like the kind of people who like an emergency for them is like having to log into their email. And they're there being like, yeah, we're going to help out in the event of an emergency. And I'm like, are you? <laughs> Fucking are you going to help out in the event of an emergency? You're 80 years old. The font on the fucking instruction manual and the door you need to pull down isn't big enough for you to fucking read. <laughs> this thing's in size 18. You can't focus on anything under size 36. Look at your iPhone. It's one letter at a time. I don't think you're helping out in an emergency. But I still, obvi- obviously, because I'm justifying it this much, I feel a bit guilty. <laughs> if any time... If any time on this podcast I seem like I'm over-justifying something, it's because I aren't comfortable with the decision I made in the moment, right? So just remember that going forward. Good little piece of cannon. Um, so anyway, so I was there. Plane takes off. I pass out. Just like immediately, just gone, passed out. Um, I come to, uh, I, I reckon, mid-descent, like... Like food service, nothing, just just asleep, out, 100% out. And then during the descent, I kind of come to, and I'm like, well, I've I've played a blinder here. I've drunk all night, had a good time, didn't miss my flight, clearly made the right decision pulling the all-nighter, and I've got through the flight without making a dick of myself in any way, shape, or form, or having to help out in an emergency. Good stuff. Uh, But then I realized when I fell asleep, there was a lady in my row 
like not the seat directly next to me, but the one across from her, uh, the one across from that. So like two seats across. And by the time I woke up, she was gone. Now, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar with planes. You can't just really make an exit. You know, it's not like a bus. Like she got off halfway between Sydney and Adelaide, but. All I can think of, because she didn't reappear. I was like, oh, maybe she's in the bathroom. No, she did not reappear at any point. So <laughs> all I can think of, and like maybe it's just because I was raised Catholic. So whenever given an unknown, I assume the worst case scenario, because one time God sent his son to earth and we killed him. Like you got to, that is what creates that Catholic anxiety. You know, if you got given the best thing one time, and you murdered it. You gotta watch. You gotta watch your step going forward because you fucking history does tend to repeat itself. So, I think what must have happened is I passed out so violently, like just such a level of snoring, potentially drooling, just making weird twitching movements. Maybe like I don't know. I don't know how I sleep. I assume not well. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and she has just kind of been near that and just the wafting of alcoholic odors and just being like, look, I know I've got the aisle on an exit row, which is generally a bit of a winner when it comes to seats, but could I get fucking heaps far away from that? And she clearly had her request met, which means the flight attendant must look looked at me and been like, yeah, that's a fucking mess. Just don't wake him. Uh, <laughs> if you're wakey, we could end up on a fucking episode of Mid-Flight Brawl. So let's not mess around. Mid-Flight Brawl, very good podcast by my good mate Luke Heggie and Nick Cody. Go have a listen. So um, that was number two. Number one. Number one. We did it. I think, look, I don't want to jump the gun here, but I think this has been a pretty good segment. Um, it, does it, need a th- it doesn't need a theme yet, but we'll do it again because Melbourne Comedy Festival is coming up. I think we could do this again. Sydney Comedy Festival, Perth Comedy Festival. We've got some festivals. We're going to do it. And like after tours as well. We can do this after tours as well. Five things that happened. I quite like it. Should I do it every week? Should I just do five things that happen each week? They could be shorter. Could I be having these thoughts alone? <laughs> Maybe I don't need to share with you. Number one. Number one. Uh, I won the ashes for Australia. Fuck yeah. Honestly, I'm going to put it out there. I, I've i never won really anything in comedy, even, even in life, like not a huge amount of awards. Like I'm not really like a, like I'm a podium guy. I rarely win. That's not really my vibe. Um, but this year I got the two, the two awards at Perth comedy festival. Oh, sorry, Perth fringe world, uh, which was fun. Um, and, I couldn't give a fuck about them compared to this achievement. Uh, I won the Comedy Ashes for Australia. Uh, the Comedy Ashes is this great show concept come up by, uh, come up, came up with, come up by. I'm trying to figure out a way to get that verb to allow me to say the name second. It's a great concept that Mick Nevin and Dan Willis came up with. We can do it that way around. Um, it's a great, it's a great format of a comedy show come up with by Mick Nevin and Dan Willis. Now that second one sounds crook. No, thanks. Um, 
Either way, you got it. Dan and Mick came up with the idea. What it is, is uh, at comedy festivals like Perth Fringe World, Adelaide Fringe, Melbourne International Comedy Festival, uh, Edinburgh Fringe, they do it as well. Uh, five shows take place to mimic the Australia v England Ashes series in cricket. Um, five shows, there's a winner each show, and the winner overall out of the five wins the Ashes, which are a little cocktail shaker thing. I'll be honest, the budget for the show isn't quite there, but the concept is awesome, so it doesn't fucking matter. Um, basically, the way it works is there are three comedians on each team, uh, in addition to the captains. Now, the captains are Dan and Mick. Uh, Dan Willis is from uh, Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the UK, and uh, Mick Nevin. I actually don't know where he's from. I think just Melbourne? He's Australian. Either way. So he's English. He's Australian. And they have their pick of Australian and English comedians at whichever festival. And it also has a bit of a fun, you know, home and away feel. Because like at the Australian festivals, obviously, there tends to be more Australian supporters there. Whereas when you do it in Edinburgh, um, everybody hates cricket because they're Scottish. (laughs) Just kidding. The the English crowd kind of has the home advantage, right? So there's three batsmen for each team. And there's uh, this thing where they basically, it's like a laughometer, I guess, just measuring laughs, uh, where the louder the laugh is, you can score either one, two, three, four, five, or six runs. So like for every laugh, you get one of those, like for every joke, sorry, you get a number from one of those, and then you have seven minutes to score as many runs as you can. And then the aggregate of those three from each country come together, and whichever's higher, wins, just like cricket, right? Whoever scores the most runs, wins. Um so, and there's also, oh, which is very fun. They have the they have the stumps, the cricket stumps on the stage. And if you go over the seven minutes, uh, there are these soft balls that uh, everyone gets to pelt you with. And if anybody hits the wicket, uh, they uh, you, you lose 10 runs. Very fun. Great concept. Um, it's very rare that I like concept shows in comedy because generally with concept shows, they kind of, they, they do something where like they kind of make comedy harder. Like I've done ones where, um, you can't hear yourself like you're wearing like uh, headphones that like a noise cancelling so you can't hear the audience reaction you can only kind of see them I've done other ones where you're blindfolded um, so you can't see what they're doing I've done ones in the dark where it's just like everything is absolutely pitch black there's another one I remember I think like you, you can just see someone's head like their body's like cut off I've done zoom shows that was more of a necessity than a concept but all of them all of them basically put an impediment in the way of comedy for the comedian to overcome. And I don't know if you guys have been to a lot of comedy, but it's hard. And most comedians don't make it look easy. So to make it then harder just decreases the chance that it might be a good show. <laughs> it just decreases the chance that the audience is going to see a comedian do funny things. Like, sure, like, the the adversity might be funny for, like, a moment or be interesting, but, like, you're not going to get good jokes, you know? Whereas with this, it's like, hey, there are these other things happening around you that are fun and on theme, but your job is just to go up there and fucking score as many runs as you can, which means tell as many jokes as you can, right? Tell as many good jokes as you can. Great concept. I really love it. Uh, I got the call up. It's not my first time playing. I've played a few times. 
Uh, definitely earlier on in my career, I had a couple of shockers, especially over in Edinburgh. I remember I went long and someone threw a ball at me and I tried to kick it away from the stump and ended up hitting an audience member in the head. They're very soft, so like they weren't hurt at all, but not a good look. Anyway, <laughs> the main theme from this episode seems to be Daniel Muggleton does not respect audiences and I don't. I want to make that very clear. Apart from you, obviously, discerning podcast listener. Yes, you specifically. Wink. So, um, we start the show. Good lineups. Uh, the Australian team is uh, Thomas Green, Joe White, and myself. And the English team is uh, Ollie Horn, uh, Mark Simmons, and Luke Benson. Um, all good comics. Tom's up first. He gets about 100. Uh, then Joe went up and got about 80. Somewhere in the 80s, I think it was like 88. But like he was robbed, man. He absolutely scored more than that. Because there's a bit of discretion with the scoring because there's just someone there looking at the laughometer and basically tallying up runs. That's how they do it. So there's always a little bit of discretion, which is kind of fun, which creates a bit more intrigue with the whole thing. Uh, and then Oli Horn went up for the UK, uh, kind of had a bit of a soft open, got about 65. Didn't do the full seven. Fucking amateur bullshit. Like anybody who's been following the India Australia Test Series, anyone who's been following just the one day series these days, like teams get skittled a little bit early on and they never just fucking cling on and bat the full 50 or 20 overs. Like always bat your full allotment. That is such a great cricketing thing. And I love that it's reflected in the cricket version of stand up comedy. Do your full seven. Use that last 30 seconds. Don't fucking get out of there early. Just really try to eke every little bit out of it that you can. Uh, but next up, Mark Simmons. He's a one-liner guy. He's a guy who can tell the audience, hey, tell me a hobby. I'll tell you a joke about your hobby. And so he is fucking perfect for this. So he's just like, bah, 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 just joke, 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 joke. Just so consistent, so quick. He like got them to do the interactive like hobby joke thing just for like three minutes at the end. Like he usually does it just for a little bit, but he's like three minutes just to get fucking everybody rolling. He scores like 139. So Australia's a little bit behind and I'm like, ah, shit, because I'm, I'm batting last, right? And then there's a break. Luke Benson goes on. So it goes two, three, one, right? So the two Australians bat and the three English in a row, then me at the end. And uh, Benson crushed it. He got like 100. Well, no, sorry. They don't tell you his score. Right, but he absolutely smashed it. So in my head, I'm like, look, he's basically hitting Mark Simmons' numbers. We were 30 behind before. That means we're going to be 160 odd behind. So I need to get about 165 to even even have a chance. Even have a chance. Sorry, that was a little water break. Um, you tell a sports story, suddenly you get thirsty. You know, you think about Brett Lee talking to you about how yellow your piss is. Like those commercials back in the day. That was a real thing. Um, during his, during like cricket in the 2000s, Brett Lee was like the shiny kind of let's sell the game to the youth dude because he bowled really fast and kids find that shit impressive. Even though line and length, Glenn McGrath, heaps more wickets, way better cricketer. Fuck you, Brett Lee. Anyway, I'll get into that one day. I'll get into my beef with Brett Lee. Not important. Now, um, he used to do these ads. He used to do these ads where uh, he would talk about the importance of hydration and just... Be like, hey, if you ever go to the bathroom during a match and your pee is really yellow, maybe have a drink of water. And all the children are like, <laughs> piss, that's lol. Um, anyway, so Luke smashed it. I think I need about 165. Now, I, you know, with comedy, I don't 
generally get that nervous before gigs anymore. Like obviously sometimes, you know, when I was doing the special or like if it's like a really big spot or, you know, it's just one of those ones where the room is really hot, the person before you has done really well and you need to kind of go on there and match that. Like you get a little bit of nerves. But man, this I was like, like it wasn't, it wasn't like super nervous, but it was like enough for me to be like, wow, like I'm, I'm taking like my hands were a little bit trembly because like this is how seriously I was taking this, you know, and I get up there and I immediately make a joke about the scorer who's like a great guy. I'm going to need him to inflate figures like as the GFC, the audience laugh and I'm like, fuck, we might be on here. And I just get going, joke, 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 joke. They're kind of flagging a little bit. And I'm like, come on, support me. Like just literally support me. And like, I meant it, you know, like I was sincere, like fucking support me. Let's go. And like most of them are stressed. So they're like, ah, so they're getting back into it. And then I'm banging, joke, 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 hitting it. I'm doing jokes slightly faster than I usually would. Like doing, like actually messing with my timing because I know this show is about speed and I need to get some jokes out there, but I can't do them too fast because there's not enough time to laugh. Laugh faster. I just yelled laugh faster at him. And I'm like, keep going. Joke, joke, joke. You're fucking hitting it. Laugh line, laugh line. Move it here. Get it there. Oh God, I got 50 seconds left. I don't really know what I can slip in there. Fuck it. I got one joke. It usually takes two minutes, but if I kind of power through it, I think we can get there. Six minutes, 59. Done. I'm out. And I was like, oof. I've taken every fucking second there. The audience response has been good. I think like, I think we're thereabouts, you know, I think I've at least put us into contention. It turns out that Benson got, I think 133. So I was spot on. We needed 165 or maybe 166 to win. It was something like that. And I was like, fuck, I am close. I did hit it hard. I did get the hometown support. I did do the exact length of time. Didn't leave a single fucking ball remaining. And then Scorer got up and he's like, Daniel Muggleton got 181. And I was like, yes, yes. Just the sheer joy. Like I cannot, like I've had some cool things happen in my comedy career that I am very proud of. But if I was to isolate a moment of like actual just joy during stand-up comedy, this is fucking right up there. It might be number one. I can't. There's photos that you'll see them on socials, I'm sure, of me like genuinely smiling, like just so happy, like just stoked that we did it. Like everyone rushed the stage from the Australian team, hugging, having a sick time. It was great. Like... Everyone in the crowd stoked. Like it was, it was like this weird thing in the crowd where it was like actual sport where like the hometowns kind of come from behind, snaked it at the end. Even though like them giving me more because I was Australian probably, you know, gave me the victory in the first place, right? Like they handed it to me a little bit, but they're still stoked. Like, yeah, we fucking won. We fucking won this fake competition that comedians came up with. It's 3 p.m. in the afternoon, but I'm fucking, yo. Dude, it was great. It was so fun. Like, I I had like an adrenaline dump from doing that that took like two hours to subside. So by the time I was actually doing proper shows in the evening, including that showcase, I am seated again and we did the correct amount of time. I want to make that clear. I only make mistakes once. I learnt my lesson. We did the time. 
Um, but yeah, I was just like dying. Like, you know, all my energy was gone because like all the kind of focus and intent and like joy was channeled into the comedy ashes. <laughs> it's just so fucking stupid. Like, I, I don't know if I even got paid. <laughs> I just did it for fun and it was so much fun. And I guess that's the main thing. That's why it was number one. That's nice. Number one on the five things that happened at the Adelaide Fringe. Because, you know, you do these comedy festivals and you're figuring out a show and you have some great nights and you have some great spots and you get to hang out with comics, which is also great. But yeah, winning the ashes, bro. Like that was, that's the thing that I'll remember about that festival going forward. The fucking 181 I got to take us over the line in dramatic circumstances, won the ashes, 3-1. Three, three they had a game today. I couldn't believe this. I, I, was, I saw them for a drink after. And they were like, yeah, we got one more match today. Um, oh, sorry, tomorrow. So we're thinking of kind of telling the crowd that yesterday England won. So it's 2-2. So it's a better show for them. And I said, go fuck yourself. Never even think about trying to take any of the varnish off my fucking achievement. All right? <laughs> I don't care if you got tickets to sell. I don't care if you got a crowd to hype up. Australia won the Ashes today. That's how it'll go down in the fucking scoreboard. Thanks to 181 from Daniel Muggleton. That's what it is. And that is five things that happened at the Adelaide Fringe. All right. Those were the five things that happened. And that's the end of the episode. We did it. We made it. I'm just thinking, out of the five, I mean, winning the Ashes, obviously that was a win for me. Uh, pulling an all-nighter to catch the flight, I think that's a draw because I didn't miss my flight, which was my primary goal, but I also uh, was fucked for like days. <laughs> like, it's, it's weird when you kind of make an irresponsible decision for a responsible reason. It's like, hey, I'm going to get absolutely fucking blasted tonight in order to not miss my plane. But I think the main thing is like, I haven't done that in a while and doing it at 33, fuck me, it lingers. Uh, so a, a draw leading towards a loss there. Uh, MC the showcase around 15 minutes short. Ugh. I, again, I think, I think it's a draw because I genuinely thought I was doing the right thing. Like I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I thought I was doing the correct thing in that moment. But I think to completely forget about the audience's expectations <laughs> is uh not a good thing so i think yeah another another draw uh heading towards a loss uh had the can of carlton draft thrown at me obviously that's a win didn't hit me uh and got my food taken off me for asking for a tax invoice i think that's a win a win in the sense that i did absolutely nothing wrong and it gave me a second chance at wanting to order a snack pack. Like initially, you know, cause, cause you order the snack you, you, at the front of the line, you've been waiting, you're drunk, you're like tired. You're like, ah, snack pack, ah, automatic. Like it's almost Pavlovian. You're like, that's what I want. I want it now. It's a reflex. But that gave me a second opportunity to be like, Hey Dan, you know what? You could just go to bed hungry and then, you know, wake up and have a nice nutritious breakfast when you're sober and can make good decisions and places that are healthy are still open. Because, you know, as anyone knows, after 2 a.m., 
there's only there's only uh, pain. <laughs> there's only culinary pain to be had. So it gave me a second chance to decide that's what I wanted. So when I did feel like shit the next day, it was like, Dan, you chose this. You're in control of your life. You have complete autonomy. And that is to be both uh, respected and regretted. Um, so what's that? What's the score on that? So a draw leaning towards loss, two of those, and then three wins. Um, so much like the Ashes, fucking retain, baby. Best out of five. Nailed it. Um, I hope you enjoyed that segment. Uh, if you if you did, I'll make sure another one comes your way after Melbourne, but maybe that one will have to be two five-parters uh, or a big ten uh, because it is a month-long festival and I assume there will be significantly more plot uh, that happens there. Um, as I said, send through uh, any life situations you find yourself in uh, for some bad advice to dan at danielmuggleton.com.au. That's the email where to find me. Buy a t-shirt if you're into that kind of shit. I've always wanted an excuse to go down to the post office more. And other than that, I appreciate you listening. I'll be back next Monday. Lock it in. Fucking count on it. Uh, But otherwise, have a lovely week. And to get you, to get you through, not the next week, because that would be far too much pressure, but to get you through what experts would call the next 15 seconds of your life, you know who it is. It's Verticoli. (laughs) 